Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. This is the word of God. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for prayer that we can come to you. I pray that you would open the scripture to our hearts and minds this morning. Help me not to be an obstacle to the understanding of your word. And would you teach us something that brings us closer to you this morning? Amen. What do the Lord of the Rings stories, the Star Wars movies... John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the Lego movie, and the Matrix movies have in common. Well, the main character in each one of these stories begins as an average person. These people might be us. The stories start slowly in a garden, at a construction site, they start in a cubicle, on a farm, all places we've been. Suddenly, though, something happens to the character, which leads up to a decisive moment in their life, a turning point which will change their destiny forever. We're brought along as they get swept up in these huge storylines that span faraway places and times, and our average main character guy or gal ends up being an extremely powerful force for good in a cosmic struggle against evil. This is the same story arc that that one author referred to when he famously said, all good stories are a reflection of the great story. And friends, our lives follow that same story arc, even if it doesn't feel like it. And those books and movies exist to point us to the great story in which we live. Each of us may live seemingly dull, ordinary lives until that one decisive moment that leads us into a much larger story. And like all big stories, there is a great struggle. In our struggle, in our lives, in the story of our existence, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against great cosmic powers of evil in the world in which we live and and which we encounter as we drive to work, as we discipline our children, and as we do the laundry. We're living in two worlds at once, with the prince of the power of the air fighting to keep us in one world and the king of glory fighting to bring us into our true home. 
And our best defense in this cosmic struggle is to put on the armor that we learned about last week, wielding the sword of the Spirit with our vitals protected by the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness and our feet protected by the readiness of the gospel, our heads protected by Jesus' salvation, with our belt of truth protecting our dignity as we remember what is right and the shield of faith extinguishing the flaming darts of evil. But all this armor is useless to defend against attacks of evil in our lives if we choose to not defend ourselves. If we don't raise our shield of faith to block the devil's arrows, we will be wounded. And the part of us that was born into this world doesn't want to fight. That part of us wants to stay here. Left to ourselves, we'd rather not parry, even as we have the sword in our hands. But in order to survive, we must kill that part of ourselves that was born here and which was born in the king and which doesn't want to leave. And we must empower our new self, the one which was born in the kingdom of God, which wants nothing more than to go home to our true king and father. This is not a fantasy novel. This is real life as a Christian in the world. If you've seen the 1989 movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you'll recognize the sermon title from today, The Penitent Man Will Pass. Harrison Ford, as Indiana Jones, is forced at gunpoint to enter a deadly labyrinth, which is supposed to have at its center the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. There are some clues to help pilgrims avoid the obstacles and survive the labyrinth. And the first clue, supposedly left by the Knights Templar, is the penitent man will pass. By kneeling, as though in prayer, Indiana avoids decapitation from nearly invisible blades. Lucas and Spielberg probably didn't intend to encourage Christians in spiritual warfare to pray, but I'll take it. (laughs) So if you take one thing away from this sermon, let it be this. We cannot, by sheer willpower of our own, we cannot, we're not able to resist the devil or temptation. Not for long, anyway. That old self, that self that was born here, won't resist its own desires. It has no reason to. We must have the Spirit of God to empower us to remember the truth, to remember the gospel, to remember who we truly are, who God is, and to remember that Jesus has already defeated evil and that we share in his victory. And in order for the Spirit to empower us in the middle of spiritual warfare, we must pray. The penitent man will pass. Now, while the topic here is prayer, we will not examine every aspect of prayer. There are lots of wonderful books that look at different aspects and some that look at all aspects of prayer. Much ink has been uh, used to uh, examine this topic This morning, we're just looking at prayer as a tool in spiritual warfare. We have two sections this morning, why we must pray and how we must pray. 
And why we must pray is section one. First point under there is prayer is empowerment. If you've ever uh, watched any movies that take any place, uh, have any scenes in the jungle, you'll see the split leaf philodendron. It's this big leafed fern type plant. Uh, it's called the Monstera deliciosa. And it's very difficult to grow here in Colorado. People like to keep it as a house plant. We have one. Ours, you know, the leaves get like here. They don't like, uh, they like humidity. So they don't like a, a arid environments and they don't like their roots to be wet. So it's very difficult to grow them here because you have to have moisture in the air. And they like to cling to the trunks of trees and kind of gather nutrients from them and then get moisture from the air. So as we were struggling to, to grow this one that we had in our house, Shana and I visited a, uh, a store here and we saw a split leaf philodendron that had leaves like this. And we couldn't believe it because we'd never seen one with leaves that big, five times bigger than ours. And we, we looked at it and we thought, well, what on earth have they done? And then we noticed that one of the little air roots that it has had snuck down into an adjacent fish tank. <laughs> little cheater. Well, if you trust in Jesus Christ this morning, you are planted next to a fish tank. You have a reservoir of power and nutrients that otherwise would be unavailable to you. And no matter the harshness of the environment that you are planted, you can draw on that power to grow and thrive. Commentator Brian Chappelle points out that we must put on the armor of God in order to defeat the works of the devil. Again, we're talking about empowerment. But a failure to pray when we are tempted is akin to putting down our shield of faith and exposing a gap in our armor. It's, it's a work of salvation through the Holy Spirit that we even can use the armor, that we even can desire to do good. Without the Spirit, we can't use the armor that we otherwise might have. And if we try to go into spiritual warfare without prayer, we will fail to use that armor and we will fall every time. So without God's Spirit living within us, we cannot desire the things of God. Isaiah prophesied there is none righteous, not even one. We cannot achieve God's righteousness by human effort. An act of the human will, no matter how mighty, cannot achieve the righteousness of God, nor can it achieve victory over the dark forces of evil. We can only do what pleases ourselves or what pleases man until we have God's Spirit. Only then can we please God, and only then can we draw upon Christ's victory over evil to defeat evil in our own lives. We can appropriate his victory on the cross in our own struggle against evil. Prayer is a lot of things, but within the context of our passage this morning, it is at least empowerment to defeat the forces of evil that oppose us each day. Point 1B, prayer is a privilege. Let's take a step back here conceptually and remember what we're doing when we pray. First, we're addressing the God of the universe. The very I am who has existed in Trinitarian form 
for all eternity past and who will exist in eternity future. The one whose works we are still discovering thousands of years after he made them and which we may never fully understand. The one who created time and matter and our eternal souls. The one who created billions of galaxies that we're still discovering and to which we could never travel and simultaneously created a subatomic world within the bodies of each of us this morning. We're addressing the one who sits on his eternal throne, constantly surrounded by perfect creatures made for the sole purpose of worshiping him constantly. We're addressing the one to whom it is said that the fear of him is the first principle of wisdom. He is the one who has mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy. He who displays his righteous judgment on others to display his glory. We read in the Old Testament even accidentally touching the object where the blood of the sacrifices was sprinkled, where his spirit was said to have resided. Even an accidental brush with it meant instantaneous death. The ancient of days, the old one, the one who is singular in every aspect of his character, the one who knows our deepest secrets and our darkest fears, allows us, invites us, pleads with us to know him intimately and to pray to him directly. The consuming fire wants to be held in our chest and wishes for us to draw near to him. Every time we mutter a prayer, no matter how brief or flippant, we address this eternal one, the subject of the great story. I don't bring this up to make him less approachable, but what I want to emphasize is how far he comes to listen to us. All humanity and creation should quake in the fear of God. But Christian, you have been adopted into his family. And though he remains the eternal and perfect judge, he is now your father. And we're invited to approach him as children. Prayer is a privilege, one that we have as adopted siblings of Christ and children of the King. The eternal one strongly desires that we approach him. And as we do, let's let's wonder at the greatness of God in his being, the smallness of ourselves, the greatness of his cares for us, and as the Puritans used to say, the magnificence of his condescension. Point 1C, prayer must be a priority. Prayer is empowerment, prayer is a privilege, and it must be a priority. One of the most repeated commands that God gives to his people throughout scripture is to remember. God wants us to remember his faithfulness. He wants us to remember our joy, to remember the greatness of our salvation. Among Paul's final words to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. 
Prayer draws us back to obey this command. And it's critical to remember what God has done when we are in spiritual warfare. Naturally, our old self says, well, we don't want to pray in the middle of a temptation. It feels wrong. The lies we hear go something like this. You're not worthy to approach God. Not when you're thinking these things. Not when you just did what you did. You're just a filthy sinner. God isn't going to hear you. Don't even bother. Just complete your sin and confess later. Give it some time. Then maybe God will hear your prayer. Don't address God right now. That wouldn't be right. But of course, when we're in the middle of temptation, even when we've begun to give in, there is no time that is more important for us to pray. Even if it's something as simple as God help me. We're wrapping up a series on Christian warfare here at the end of Ephesians. If you missed Lars' sermons over the last two weeks, go back and listen. I I implore you, they were very good, and they set the context for this this morning. And as I mentioned, this this morning's discussion is on prayer within that context of spiritual warfare. But not only is prayer important in the moment of spiritual warfare or temptation, but regular prayer time, as we'll see later, Regular prayer time or, or frequent irregular prayer is invaluable. We have to have that as a foundation. It must be a priority in our lives if we expect to survive the attacks of the enemy. If we expect to grow, if we expect to see any fruit in our lives, we must pray. So how do we do it? Point two. Two A, when to pray. Have you ever talked to somebody and asked, like, when's the, when's the best time to plant a tree? And of course you're asking about the seasons. And if you get anybody with any snark in them, they'll say, well, 10 years ago. Well, such as it is with prayer. When's the best time to pray? Always and for the last 10 years, constantly. We're always is the best answer to when we should pray. Look at the first words of our passage in verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. When are we to pray? Always. Pray without ceasing, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. It sounds a little little hyperbolic, maybe, for, for Paul to say, well, just pray, pray all the time, guys. It's just so good. But... That's not what he was saying. He was being literal. He said, really pray all the time. Don't stop praying. We need to be having an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day. That's the type of prayer that Paul means. Now, I like the old uh, musical Fiddler on the Roof. Um, It's fascinating historically. It's got wonderful music. The actor who played Tevia, the main character, in the movie, played him on stage for years beforehand. 
But I like the film because in the film you get these scenes where Tevya breaks the fourth wall and looks right at the camera. And he goes, you know, he kind of has these, are you kidding me? Really? These moments where he's, he's looking at you and he's like, can you believe this? And that's what it feels like to pray constantly. It feels like we're breaking that fourth wall in our lives. Where we're going about our days, we're driving, somebody cuts you off. You have to slam on your brakes, your coffee spills all over. Of course, you've got a big presentation at work. And now your shirt's all stained with coffee. So you, you can just break the fourth wall of God. Just, really? This? Okay. My kid breaks his arm the day before the big game. Great. You, you got it. You're the boss. Okay. Pray all the time. God's with us always. Our bodies are the temple of the living God. The temple of the living God is our bodies. (laughs) There's no temple on earth for the living God but our bodies. He is with us. And you're not going to talk to him throughout the day as you go about your daily things? Rude. You don't have to worry about having the right words, especially in these Uh, extemporaneous prayers. It can be as simple as, God, help me. Lord, have mercy. The Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words anyway. He knows what we need before we ask, as Jesus says. So we don't have to worry about having the right words. Sometimes it can just be an exclamation and a request for help. God hasn't taken a break. You don't have to update him on what he's missed. Jesus' last words, according to Matthew, before he ascended to heaven were, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, the Greek here for what Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer. All prayer in Greek, the word all, means all types, all kinds of prayer. So, One type is what I mentioned. He says, pray at all times. That's extemporaneous prayer. Be praying always. Always remember God is with you. He is there. And you can just break the fourth wall and talk to God. And that is important for us to remember and important for us to do. Jesus gives us the formal, dedicated structure of prayer when we are alone. In the Lord's Prayer, which we'll look at in a moment. But he also prayed extemporaneously when he was on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was constantly talking with his father throughout his days, but he still felt the need to go be off by himself and spend quality time in prayer. We are to pray alone. We're to pray in groups. We're to pray short prayers. We're to pray long prayers. We're to pray in fast. We're to pray throughout the day. Green egg and ham it, man. Pray in your car. Pray in a bar. Pray on a train. Pray in the rain. A a friend of mine pointed out to me that this type of communication and the type of prayer is, it's like texting your spouse throughout the day. 
And if you have a new relationship, you'll text some things, and then you'll catch up at the end of the day. But in the morning, you have some time to set the tone for the day with your spouse. And then throughout the day, you begin to text them about little things, the little things that come up. And then at the end of the day, you can catch up and debrief and spend time together. Such a, so it's the same with prayer. We spend some time with God in the morning. We set the tone for the day. And throughout the day, we can send little text prayers to God. And then at the end of the day, we can thank him for what happened, go over what happened, and bring to God our concerns. Which brings us to our next point, what to pray for, to be. Look at verses 18 and 19 again with me. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, that is the end he mentions in verse 16, to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. When we pray, we are to pray with all types of prayer and all types of supplication. We're to pray for everything. We're certainly to pray for all the saints, right? And we're to pray for our missionaries. At least pray for the Sullivans, pray for Lisa, pray for the Pasquales, pray for the elders. Bring all your concerns, your cares, your hopes, your desires to your heavenly Father. He wants to hear them. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you, the scripture says. He knows what's in your head before you say it, but he wants you to bring it to him. He wants you to try to verbalize your deepest concerns, and he wants you to do the act of taking your concerns and giving them to God and trusting him to take care of you. It's much easier to do this if you're praying more often. If you're constantly talking to God throughout the day, it's much easier to bring him the little things throughout the day. God, help this meeting to go well. Lord, help me to not mess up this sermon. God, help this flight to go well. Help me to know what to do with my kid. We don't pray to a statue. We don't pray to an emperor. We don't pray to some unknown God. We don't pray to the universe, but to the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present king of the universe, who also, at the same time, cares about us individually. And he wants us to come to him individually with the smallest concerns of our day. We're to bring him everything, especially if it has to do with our struggle with sin. But we are to bring him everything. You know, it's easy to believe, kind of growing up in church culture, that you're only supposed to pray for certain things. And, you know, you're supposed to somehow make yourself presentable before coming to God. It's easy to believe these things because, after all, what did we just talk about? God is holy. He is the creator of everything. 
And when you put your life in perspective to his, the tendency is to say, well, he doesn't care about this. or I don't need to pray about my kid's soccer game. No. Pray about your kid's soccer game. Look at the Psalms. The authors are constantly voicing everything they've got on their mind. And we have a lot of complaints in the Psalms. Am I right? The authors are constantly complaining. Where have you been? Why won't you save me? What is taking you so long? Why am I being hurt in this way? Why are these people chasing after me? These people are evil. Can't they just die? I'm doing everything right, and I'm still suffering. Where's the justice, God? Not only is it okay to be open and honest with God in your prayers like these psalmists, but he prefers that. We heard in the last service, someone said, in Psalm 51, you desire truth in the inmost being, is what David writes of God. He doesn't say you desire eloquent prayers. He doesn't say... You desire that we say the magic words. We are to be honest with ourselves. We're to be honest with God. And that plays out in how we pray. We're to be honest with how we're feeling. Bring him the junk. Bring him the frustration. Bring him your worries. Bring him your cares. Even the slightest concern. Bring it to Jesus. He's there to Bear your emotional burden. Cast your cares upon him. Give him your heavy backpack of concerns and take his light pack. As you read some of these Psalms and Ecclesiastes, you might be surprised how blunt these people really are. But almost every time, at the end, you got to hang in there to the end. But at the end, they come back to the character of God. They come back to the truth that the world doesn't revolve around us, that God is sovereign, and that he loves us. Those are the truths that they come back to. In any life circumstance, that's all you need to know. God's sovereign. God loves you. And the world doesn't revolve around us. It is okay to be frustrated with life and to question God, but always come back to his character and remember his sovereignty. Remember that he loves you and remember that his goal is for everyone to know him. Our final point, how to pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, as I mentioned, at least in one type. Jesus as the God-man, God incarnate, addressing God the Father. Here's what he said. This is from Matthew 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. 
Do not pray like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first two principles Christ points out are that you're not benefiting yourself from praying in public. Um, not in a braggy fashion so other people will hear you. Um, he says they've received their award. They've received their praise from man. That's what they were doing it for, and so they got it. Secondly, you don't have to use fancy words. Now, this one I've struggled with a little bit in my life, I have to be honest. Because, again, growing up in certain circles, you begin to hear certain phraseology in prayer. Christianese. Uh, it, it's easy to use some Christianese. Some, some stuff is fine, and it's shorthand. And other stuff is unhelpful, because if it just becomes rote, um, then you don't mean it. And it's not your words. So it doesn't have the intended effect, I'll say. Now, some of these things are good. Like, uh, God go before us. That's a shorthand, I think. Because it's shorthand for be with us as we prepare to talk to the people that we're going to talk to and prepare them to hear what we have to say and prepare the way to make it a smooth event, smooth conversation. I, stuff like that, I don't think it's, there's any problem with that. But I would just encourage you to beware rote phrases that you simply repeat each time. Use plain language when you pray, Jesus says, as though you're talking to your Father, because you are. So those are two explicit things he points out, but look at, let's look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer and learn some things. Now, someone has put together a recommended structure for how we should pray very practically. I like this. It works great for me. It's called ACTS. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. If you go through them in that order, you, you are reminded to hit all of those categories. And it's, um, but it's not rote. It can be always fresh, but you have to come to God and adore him, confess your sin, give him thanks for what you have. And by the time you get to supplication, you're prepared to ask for what you need. Now, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, surprisingly, all of it is supplication. He prays that God's name would be hallowed or kept holy by his creatures. He prays that God's will would be done in this fallen world the same as his will is done perfectly in heaven where there's no sin. He prays that God would provide for his needs for that day. Give us this day our daily bread. Today, provide for what we need. Just today. He prays for forgiveness, but only according to how he has forgiven others. 
He says, forgive us like we forgive others. If you keep reading in Matthew 6, like the next two verses, he says, if you forgive little, you will be forgiven little. And then he prays for deliverance from evil and avoidance of temptation. All these things are God's will for us without exception and without a doubt. And of course, Jesus, the God-man, will teach his disciples how to pray and how to approach God in the best way. But as we learned from Jesus right before he introduced the Lord's Prayer, it's not to be recited as a ritual. This is to be looked to as a model. Pray for things that God wants for you. He wants to provide for you. He wants you to avoid evil. He wants to forgive you when you sin. And he will in the measure that you forgive others. He wants his name to remain holy among his creatures. And he wants his will to be done on earth, just like it is in heaven perfectly. As we close here, James wrote in James 4, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's spiritual warfare in a nutshell. But submitting ourselves to God means praying. It means putting on the armor of God. It means submitting your will to God's and accepting the fact that your life is not actually about you. You're not actually the main character in your own life story. We're all supporting characters in the great story of God's pursuit of his people. But without the power of God that we have through the Holy Spirit, we can't resist the devil. We can't resist sin. How could we resist sin without God? If we live only for ourselves, then our desires are our God. Why would we even want to resist them? But that's exactly what this war is all about. This war and the battles that we fight are fought over our desires. The subject of the conflict is the object of our desires. The subject of our conflict is the object of our desires. God sent Jesus to fight and win the ultimate victory so that we could desire to be with him. And the devil uses his power during this time to still convince us that we should really want sin instead. He wants us, the devil does, to remember the fleeting pleasures of money, of success, and power, and fame, and sex. He wants us to forget our salvation He wants us to forget love in favor of hate. He wants us to forgive or forget joy in favor of outrage. He wants us to forget peace in favor of preference. He wants us to forget patience in favor of instant gratification. He wants us to forget kindness in in favor of backbiting, goodness in favor of horror and disgust, faithfulness in favor of self-interest. Gentleness in favor of making ourselves heard. He wants us to forget self-control in favor of binging our desires. 
The devil would rather we forget the works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To ignore the warnings of Scripture and to ignore the fact that we are at war with him every time we wake up in the morning. Friend, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he wants nothing more than that for you. That is everything he wants. He wants you to know him. And you can appropriate what God has done in his defeat of evil in your life if you put your trust in him. And you can begin to defeat evil in your life. And you can begin to have a new set of desires. Desires that are good and right. The best way that we can remember to fight every day is to talk with our maker. Let's do that now. Lord God, if we were to see you, we would tremble in fear. You are the great I am. The one before creation. The one who is the cause of everything. You delight in hearing from us, puny humans. You have given us the divine spark. You've given us souls, eternal souls. You have given us consciousness and the ability to relate to one another through language. Lord, you have given us so much so that we can know you. The all-wise Father, the Alpha and the Omega. God, we confess that we do not nearly come to you as regularly as we should. Our prayers have been short and trite. We do not bring you the desires of our hearts every day. We do not submit our hearts to you. We confess that we have fit you in, not that we have oriented ourselves around you. We ask that you would forgive us our negligence in our prayer. Forgive us for praying too small. Forgive us for praying too little and about too few things. Lord, we are so grateful for your salvation. You, the mighty God, have made a way for us to know you and not just to know about you, but to know you. You have made your temple our own bodies. What an amazing journey from infinite universe king to resident in our own souls. Lord, we are so grateful for your spirit, for your word, the word of God that you've given to us to study so that we can know you, not just about you, 
Lord, we are so grateful for the lives that you've given to us, for the time in which you have ordained for us to live. We live in a fascinating period in history. We can communicate with our missionaries via text message instantaneously all the way across the world and know how to pray for them and encourage them. Lord, thank you for these things. Lord, we ask that you would empower us this week through your Holy Spirit to fight evil in our lives, to fight our own desires that we would want for ourselves. We ask that you would remind us and that we would remember your salvation, that we would remember your gospel, that we would remember and apply your word to our lives that we would remember that you are right here and that we can come to you with anything at any time and that you want us to do that. Lord, help us to bring you everything this week. We pray in your son's name. Amen.